You are listening to episode 54 of Stoicism on Fire. Stoicism. Hello, everyone. This is Chris Fisher welcoming you to the Stoicism on Fire podcast, where the ancient practice of Stoic philosophy as a way of life and rational form of spirituality is still alive. Keep in mind that you should always behave as you would do at a banquet. Something comes around to you, stretch out your hand and politely take a portion. It passes on, don't try to stop it. It has not come yet. Don't let your appetite run ahead, but wait till the portion reaches you. If you act like this towards your children, your wife, your public positions, and your wealth, you will be worthy one day to dine with the gods. And if you don't even take things when they are put before you, but pass them by, you will not only dine with the gods, but also share their rule. It was by acting like that that Diogenes and Heracles and others like them were deservedly divine and called so. In Chiridion 15. Epictetus uses a banquet as a metaphor in this lesson. However, this banquet appears different from anything we moderns would attend. The Greek word Epictetus used is symposio. The title of Plato's famous symposium is derived from that same Greek word, and it provides a model for this metaphor. To make his point in this lesson, Epictetus asks us to imagine that we are guests at such a banquet. However, to apply this lesson in our life, we must first understand the metaphor. A Greek banquet or symposium during the time of Plato was slightly different from those during the Roman times. Epictetus' students would have been familiar with the latter. However, those distinctions don't affect the metaphor as it applies to this lesson. So let's set the scene for such a banquet to help us understand this lesson. The host, a person that you would know, has invited you to a banquet. When you arrive, you're led to a room filled with pillow-covered sofas. Participants are reclined on those sofas, eating food, drinking wine, talking about important topics, and possibly delivering speeches. The room has a predetermined seating arrangement, so you recline on your assigned sofa and engage in conversation with others that you know at the banquet. Occasionally, someone might deliver a speech, read a poem, or bring up a topic of political concern for discussion. While this is going on, servers would enter the room with platters of food and pitchers of wine. The servers approach each reclined guest in a predetermined order and offer them a portion of what they are serving. You know the proper etiquette for such a banquet, and that means that you must wait for each server to come to you and take your portion. The preceding lessons in the Enchiridion focus on the distinction between what is up to us and what is not up to us. And as banquet guests, many things are not within our power. They are not up to us. So let's begin by determining what is and is not in our power in this banquet metaphor. Guests don't choose the date or time of the banquet. The host does. Guests don't choose who is invited. The host does. Guests don't choose their seating location. The host does. Guests don't choose what, if any, entertainment is provided. Guests don't choose what food and wine are served. They don't choose the portions of the dishes being served. And guests don't choose the order in which the dishes and drinks are served. Finally, guests don't choose the order in which they will be served. The host makes all of those decisions. 
Therefore, Epictetus is reminding us of the only thing within our power at one of these banquets. As a guest at such a banquet, the only thing that is up to us is the choice to reach out and take a portion of each item as it is offered to us. Now, interestingly, even though the items served at the banquet are preferred indifference, Epictetus encourages us to reach out and take a portion of those items that are being offered. We are beginning to see why Epictetus chose an ancient banquet as a metaphor for this lesson. Many of the circumstances and events in life are not in our power. Moreover, one of the essential aspects of Epictetus' training program is understanding what is in our power and choosing only those things which are up to us. Nevertheless, there's an interesting change in Epictetus' training program in Enchiridion 15. Chapters 1 through 14 directed our attention away from externals and toward that which is exclusively within our power, what is up to us. Now, Epictetus is providing us with a lesson about dealing with externals, what is not up to us. And he encourages us to stretch out our hand and politely take a portion of preferred indifference when they are offered to us. Epictetus said, Something comes around to you? Reach out your hand and politely take a portion. So Epictetus is telling us that it's okay to reach out and take a portion of good health, wealth, a prestigious title, a high-paying job, a desirable mate, big house, sports car, diamond jewelry, etc. When the cosmos offers them to us. And this highlights an important aspect of Stoicism. Stoics were not complete ascetics like the Cynics. They did not renounce all externals. Stoic practice does not entail rejecting indifference. However, it does require us to abandon our desire for those indifference. The second lesson is a little more complicated. In Enchiridion 15, Epictetus offers a banquet metaphor to teach us how to handle these indifference. However, there's another critically important part of this lesson. Remember, the host decides almost everything that occurs at the banquet. Therefore, Epictetus reminds us the only thing within our power, the only things up to us, is the choice to reach out and take a portion of each item as it is offered. Again, Epictetus said, Something comes around to you? Stretch out your hand and politely take a portion. It passes on? Don't try to stop it. It has not yet come? Don't let your appetite run ahead, but wait until the portion reaches you. Here is the critically important part of this lesson. Don't reach out and attempt to take what is not offered to you by the host. Don't let your desire for what is being offered to others distract you from the primary goal of the banquet, which is not simply to eat and drink. Implicit in this metaphor is the idea that we should not take a portion of any indifferent, inconsistent with developing an excellent character. But let's see if a modern example will help. Imagine you've been invited to a wedding of a good friend and the reception afterward. When you arrive at the reception, you see name tags at each table and you look for the one with your name on it and you take a seat. You notice the families of the bride and groom are seated in places of honor up front near the stage. After the bride and groom have entered and been announced, servers begin entering the room with platters of food and trays of champagne. Naturally, they serve the families of the bride and groom and those up front first and then they work their way back to your table. After the meal, the servers bring in platters with dessert. Each of the four servers has a different dessert, but only one of them has chocolate cake. <laughs> and you love chocolate cake, and this cake looks particularly delicious. 
your table just happens to be close to the door where the servers enter the room. So you got a really good look at this cake. Your mouth starts to water in anticipation of how that cake might taste. However, you know you will not be among the first guests served. Your table is the eighth table to be served. You could allow the impression of that cake as something good to well up and create a desire. Then that desire might create an impulse to stop the server as he passes by your table and ask for a piece of cake. However, that would be rude and entirely inappropriate. This is an example of the first thing that Epictetus warns us about. The chocolate cake has not been offered to you yet. It is passing on. Epictetus warns us, don't try to stop it. Okay, let's say that you passed that first test and somewhere in the sequence between the impression of that cake as good and acting on the impulse to stop the server, you stopped that impression, accepted that the chocolate cake is just a preferred indifferent, and you remembered why you're actually here at the wedding, to honor your friend on their wedding day. Now you turn your attention back to the groom, who's now on stage, telling everyone the story of how he met his beloved bride. Occasionally, your attention is diverted from the groom's story to that server, once again, who has that chocolate cake. You just want to make sure that there's still some of that delicious-looking chocolate cake left. There is some there, so your focus goes back to the groom and his story. Then, a little later, you hear a guest at the table next to yours, and he says, Oh, this cake is otherworldly. You turn your head just in time to see him take a big bite of cake, and you watch as his body melts into his chair as the flavor overwhelms his senses with satisfaction. You look at the platter and realize there's only two pieces of cake left, and four people are seated between you and those two pieces of cake. The impression of the cake, as good, suddenly resurfaces, and the desire for a slice wells up inside you. You don't even hear the words of the groom any longer. Your attention is focused exclusively on that cake and you hope a piece will remain when the server arrives at your seat. In Epictetus's words, you just made the mistake of letting your appetite run ahead. Obviously, Epictetus was not giving his students a lesson on banquet etiquette. Instead, knowing his students were already familiar with banquet etiquette, he used this as a metaphor to teach them how to behave appropriately toward preferred indifference. So what would be appropriate in our chocolate cake scenario? Epictetus would say, keep your attention on the groom's speech, because the purpose of this banquet is to honor him on his wedding day. In other words, you are there for fellowship, not chocolate cake. If your attention remains on the purpose of the event and the platter of chocolate cake is offered to you, reach out and take a slice. However, don't let the impression of that chocolate cake distract you from the event or create an impulse to act inappropriately. At this point, someone might ask, does this lesson mean that I should abandon all ambition, just accept my lot in life, and just wait for everything to be brought to me? No, it doesn't mean that at all. You shouldn't be passive or take a quietistic approach to life. You are an active agent in the cosmos, and everything that happens in your life is co-fated to some degree by your actions. Stoicism doesn't provide hard-line rules for ethical behavior. Instead, it offers principles to guide us. The principle in this lesson is quite clear. We are encouraged to reach out and partake of preferred indifference offered to us. However, we are simultaneously discouraged from letting our appetite for those externals run ahead. I do need to address a sidebar here, and that is the final passage of Enchiridion 15, which reads, And if you don't even take things when they are put before you, 
but pass them by, you will not only dine with the gods, but also share their rule. It was by acting like this that Diogenes and Heracles and others like them were deservedly divine and called so. Now, without going into great details, this portion of Enchiridion 15 does not apply to Stoic Prokoptons. Epictetus is referring to cynics here and to those that are called messengers of God. That's a different path. And Epictetus talks about that path in other places in his discourses. But those individuals are called to travel a much different path than the Stoic Prokopton, much harder path. And on that path, renunciation of externals is required. So that's a lesson for another episode. So as a Stoic Prokopton, you are the only person who can determine if the cosmos is offering you something that you can reach out and take. You alone can decide if you're letting your appetite extend beyond your reach. Your life circumstances are unique to you, and what lies within your reach may be out of reach for others. Likewise, that chocolate cake that's currently being offered to the person next to you may be beyond your reach. It may remain so forever. That last piece may be taken before it even gets to you. Your choice may be between apple pie and tiramisu, because that, again, is all that's left. That's just not fair, someone may insist. To which Epictetus would likely respond, What seems fair is often not up to us. However, our judgments about these events, well, that is within our power. We can choose to be angry at the cosmos and other people for our circumstances in life. Marcus was considering such a position when he was talking about discontent, and he wrote, But perhaps you are discontented with what is allotted to you from the whole. Then call to mind the alternative, either Providence or Adams. Meditations 4.3 What did Marcus mean here? The cosmos is orderly. It has a purpose and meaning, and your circumstances have meaning. In modern times, many people are psychologically disturbed and angry because they don't have what they think they want and what they think they deserve. That anger is often intensified when others do have what they want and desire. The hedonic treadmill is not new. However, modern advertising, combined with ever-present social media, have taken keeping up with the Joneses to a whole new level. We are destroying our lives families, societies, and environments with our all-consuming quest for an ever-increasing standard of living and quantity of possessions. We are allowing our appetites to run ahead beyond our reach. Now here's the stoic answer for dissatisfaction. When you're feeling discontented about your external circumstances, focus your attention on your inner character. When your thoughts and attitude about life events change, your experience of them will change. Keep the words of Marcus Aurelius close at hand for those times when you're feeling a little bit disturbed about your circumstances. Quote, Everything suits me that suits your designs, O my universe. Nothing is too early or too late for me that is in your own good time. All is fruit for me that your seasons bring, O nature. Meditations 423. Reach out and take a portion of what is offered to you. Epictetus tells us that if we behave like this toward preferred indifference, like our children, spouse, public positions, wealth, we will be worthy one day to dine with the gods. So how should a Stoic Prokopton act at times like this? Again, reach out and take a portion of those preferred indifference that the cosmos places within your reach. But don't allow your appetite to run ahead. That important distinction will change your life. 
Thank you for listening to Stoicism on Fire. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider leaving a positive review on Apple Podcasts. That tells others that this podcast is worth listening to and helps introduce more people to the ancient spiritual practices of the Stoics. If you're interested in exploring traditional Stoicism further, you will find plenty of resources at traditionalstoicism.com. If you're ready for an online mentored training program, check out the College of Stoic Philosophers at collegeofstoicphilosophers.org. That is where I received my initial education and training in the theory and practice of Stoicism. If you're interested in a social media environment where you can find some like-minded fellow travelers, join us on Facebook in the Traditional Stoicism group. If you have feedback for me or a great podcast idea, send me an email at chris at traditionalstoicism.com. Until next time, I hope you will continue practicing the traditional form of Stoicism where the cosmos is alive with the meaning and purpose of the divine creative fire of the ancient Stoics. I wish you well and encourage you to keep your practice of Stoicism on fire. Fire.